here we are with i don't know what week this is week whatever of week 12 of the semester and another edition of the full court press we got all of our guys here this week did we have them all here last week we uh we did. We did. Nah, we had we did we? we? I'm did. not even sure. I think two weeks oh, ago I wasn't here. No, we did. No, we didn't have everyone here last week. I mean, we went to Party City. Uh, or no, no, we were, we, were, we were there. We were, there. We were good. I but think. were you guys here last week? No, no you weren't. Yeah, right? No, they both. They both were, were, were here. You were. Yeah, because you picked yeah. him up from. Oh yeah, because I picked James up but, from. We picked James up yeah, from Eastside Dining. But anyway, let's uh, let's get this thing kicked off. Wilco, what's up, buddy? Not much. I mean, we're here right now in the media wing. I already said this earlier, but my mic died on me, so I'm going to just repeat it. But it's hot as hot as hell in here, 85 <laughs> degrees probably. Also, we have some technical difficulties, so we will be passing the mics back and forth today. So if you hear any delay, awkward pauses, well, that might just be uh, due to us passing the mics back and forth. But as they say in show business, the show must go on. All right, so Anthony, James, how's it going, guys? Uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, how's it going, James? All good. As long as Kyrie's not winning games, I'm going to be fine. All right, so I mean, we had quite a an action-filled NBA week, as is the norm, really. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys want to start this off today with? I mean, I know we're doing a, a little bit more casual today, but... All right, generally, the squad depth for the Clippers is amazing. Like, I know they lost to the Bucks 129 to 124, but they didn't have Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. And to still put 124 points up just goes to show that this is a team that can contend for the title. What do you think, Anthony? I mean, you act like that we already didn't know that. Like, it's known. The Clippers are known for their depth. So they are able to compete against really good teams without Kawhi Leonard and without Paul George. But I'm going to bring up your question, which was, was Kawhi Leonard really injured last night? Or was it mainly because of load management? End quote. I mean, I'm not the one, I'm not the be all end all answer here, but I mean, if they coped this well without him, then I doubt that they would have really needed him. And so I don't think he was injured, but him taking load management, sorry, taking the time off or load management, whatever you want to call it, it worked out in the end. But what do you think? Hmm, I'm going to flip it on you now. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take this one. Um, by the way, we are live on Instagram. What's the, what's the Instagram handle? At, at what is it the in the beginning at the, at the SB, SB press so oh, give yeah, give that a follow on uh instagram we've got five viewers right five now. viewers damn we're, we are we are uh breaking records here this week but um but seriously talking about the clippers and Kawhi leonard um oh my God, yes. we got technical difficulties I mean, again i just fucking put like a, a, a filter uh, uh, like a uh, uh plenty of technical old. difficulties this week but uh, with Kawhi Leonard, you know, uh, I think they listed it as a knee injury, I want to say. Um, yeah. That's what I think they listed it as. as and I think um, I think just this early into the season, load management is a little little too much. I mean, when we saw LeBron do it, that's because the guy was in the finals, what, eight straight years? Playing more basketball than anyone on the planet. So I think, you know, if it's a real injury, fine. Why not? But I think, you know, these guys are being paid to play this is you know it's important to the players but at the end of the day this is just entertainment for all of us watching and when you're watching your favorite movie right you're watching the titanic you want to see dicaprio's role you don't want to see some other guy play his role those are the guys you pay to see you know what i'm sure it sucks for the live audience and it probably sucks for the tv audience too to an extent but i am fully in support of load management i i support it and the reason for this is the nba game has changed so much since the 80s and 90s now you're playing at paces which have never seen before 
you're taking more threes. It's more physical, even though, yes, some people are going to say, oh, guys aren't getting into brawls or anything like that. But the level of athleticism, nutrition, body uh, management, and all that is higher than it's ever been. So if you have a guy like Kawhi, who self-admittedly has been having, I believe it's been quad issues for se- for six or seven or eight years, then I'm fully in support of him taking a game off so he can be in full health for the playoffs. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because um, you're right. You do want him there. You want him and PG together when the playoffs start. But, you know, it's it, it, I get the worry. It's not like I don't get it. It's not like I don't understand. I just don't think he needs it. You know, the guy played a full season basically last year after coming off a horrible injury um, that he suffered with his ankle and then, you know, other stuff with his quads. And he's still, it's not like he's LeBron's age, 35. You know, he's not hes not old yet. Um, so I think even if you got to limit his minutes, play him 25 minutes, you know, I, I think you still want to get yourself that high seeding when you get into the playoffs. You don't want to just say, ah, these games don't matter much because you'd rather have that home court advantage set up so in the playoffs now you can say, all right, I can give this guy a day off through the load management because it's not going to matter because we don't care who we're going to face, whether it's five through five through eight because we're better than all those teams. But I'm just saying, like, do you see the Bucs making the finals, by the way? Because like, if you do, then you should take these games seriously because they're just like a preview to what you could see in the finals, seven games against this team. And so you'd want to see what Kawhi could do against, you know, Giannis and the Bucs. Like, he doesn't have the same supporting cast as he did in Toronto last year. So there's no way you can guarantee he'll perform just as well. And so I feel like they're just going to go in blindsided. In the, like there's, let's just say this is the finals, right? They're going to go in blindsided, whereas the Bucks, they play to the max of their potential. They know what they can do. They know what they can improve, whereas the, uh, the Clippers, I mean, it's good to not know your ceiling when you are missing Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but it, at the same time, it's a little worrying. And let's say they get those guys back and they don't perform to the max of their potential or they have off games. I don't think that will happen with the Bucks because they already know what they've got. What do you think, Anthony? Well, I think his situation is interesting because the Clippers actually do play back-to-back games on national television. So they played the Bucks yesterday and say they're playing the Trailblazers. So I just found it interesting that they're, they rested him against the Bucks, but he's probably going to play tonight against the Trailblazers. So I'm thinking, was that more of a strategic decision or was that mainly because they wanted him to rest longer so they decided to play him on the second game of the back-to-back? I mean, I'm sure it had a little bit to do with both to an extent. But for me, you know, if I'm the Clippers, I'm not worried because I think things are going to change so much from now until the playoffs, not just in terms of team of like your roster, but also in terms of the guys that you're putting out there on the floor. Rotations in the playoffs are so much shorter than during the regular season. So during the regular season, you're going to have, you know, you're going to be experimenting with guys or you're going to be experimenting with schemes and tactics. But in the playoffs, you pretty much know what you're going to get from each team at that point. So I wouldn't be um, too worried about that. Plus, you have to keep in mind, even if Kawhi and Paul George aren't playing in these games, who knows? The Clippers might add, you know, Mark Gasol, or they might add Aaron Baines or whoever it is, just to throw out some names. So anything could change from now until then. I mean, you, you definitely, it's definitely a good point. And just to get a little transition here, talking about Aaron Baines, member of the Phoenix Suns, we had a pretty interesting question about the yeah. Suns. Let's uh, discuss that one a little bit. So, like, what I understand is, like, last year the Suns were one of the worst teams ever in the NBA. But all of a sudden this season they've beaten the Warriors, which, to be fair, is not a great accomplishment. Um, They've beaten the Clippers, the first team in the season to do so. Who knows what they're going to do to the Lakers. Hopefully, you know, they don't beat them. But uh, they just, they were the first team to beat the um, 76ers who were 5-0. 
So all of a sudden, one of the worst teams, they don't draft anyone of relevance, but suddenly they're, they're all good. That's pretty shocking to me, but I'd like to see it as an NBA fan. What do you think, Anthony? Well, the Suns are off to a good start, and that's great, but a famous quote that I heard once, it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. So the Suns could be doing pretty well right now, and I think that's great that they are because you should win as many games as you possibly can. But with the Suns, it's more about consistency, I feel, because with the Suns, you know, they, they're they a nice young squad. You know, they have Devin Booker. Um, DeAndre Ayton will come back at some point, so he'll definitely provide them an additional boost. But besides that, I want to know if they can consistently be good over the span of maybe half a season or even the entire season. So the Suns' big start, I would say, is great, but it's not the entirety of their situation. But you see, the Pelicans also have a great young team, and they're just missing Zion Williamson before you can, you know, tout them off as being a threat. But they're losing every game. I think they were 5-0 if, if, not, if they've not lost every single game this season. So what's the difference between them and the Suns? I would say um, Zion is, well, well, Brandon Ingram's really their best player right now. But I think Zion is one of those guys that he just attracts attention. And again, I don't think they'd be as good as the Suns with Zion back. But Zion just draws so much attention. When he's on the court, he's one of those guys you got to know where he is at all times. Um, and he's one of those guys that the defense is going to revolve around him. And with the Suns, you know, they're doing this, again, without DeAndre Ayton. Um, Devin Booker is just a stud. And they're getting contributions from guys like um, like Kelly Oubre Jr. You know, Rubio's been a really good staple for them at the point guard, really taking the load off of Booker, carrying the ball a lot. Um, and Kaminsky's been a nice little addition, too. And... Monty Williams, you know, new coach there. He's done a great job there so far. A um, lot of respect throughout the NBA. You remember, he was there with the young Chris Paul with the Hornets. So he he definitely, it's, it's, I can't believe it's been this long for him to get another gig. But um, I don't think they'll finish, you know, with like 50 wins. But I think they're a playoff team for sure. And before I let Wilco continue on this, it reminds me of the Sixers when they were younger too. Young team. No playoff experience. They have a superstar or two, and they just need to slowly like dip their foot in the water to get used to that playoff experience. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up the Sixers because Monty Williams was actually an assistant coach for Philadelphia for a long time. So he knows how to deal with these young stars that are, you know, in the early stages of their development. Ricky Rubio, okay, maybe he's not a top 10 point guard in the NBA, but he's such a smart player. And you compare that to what the Suns had, you know, a year, a year and a half ago. They had Isaiah Kanan ran, running the guard spot. You have Ricky Rubio, who's above average. That's already a huge improvement. The point guard position is so important in today's game. He's not only setting the tone on the, on the offensive end, but he, he's also doing it on defense. And like Daniel said, he's taking the load off Devin Booker, which allows Devin Booker you know, to feel fresher going late into the games. Mm -hmm. And he's that guy who commands a lot of attention. And yes, Brandon Ingram, he's had a terrific start to the season, but Ingram just isn't as dynamic of a player as Devin Booker. <clears throat> he's not going to command as much attention from the other teams. So with the Suns, you have Rubio, you have Booker. Kaminsky's been really good to start the season. You're getting guys like Kelly Oubre, who I thought was always underrated when he played for the Washington Wizards. Aaron Baines, who's almost had, you know, a career reinvention he's hitting threes at a great rate right now after barely taking threes at all during his nba career so the suns they're good they're they're legit i feel like and i think they're going to be in the hunt for the playoffs so you so you say that a point guard is important for a team but um 
when the Warriors lost KD and they kept the best point guard in the game, Steph Curry, they they got totally exposed and started losing all their games. Like, why do you think that didn't apply there? The roster's trash. I mean, yeah. I mean, like Daniel said, the roster just isn't up to scratch. But I think with the Warriors, yeah, you look at KD and he's not the point guard, but he's still at many points of their season last year, he was still their primary option. He's their go-to guy. And even with Kawhi, you know, you look at Kawhi and no one's going to say, oh, Kawhi's a point guard. But if you really look at the games, there's so many stretches where he's operating as the point guard for the team pretty much. He's the one, maybe he's not bringing the ball to the court, but he's the one running pick and roll. He's the one who has the ball in his hands the most. So that's why it's so important to have guys like, you know, in Kawhi's situation, like Patrick Beverly, he can operate off the ball. And going back to Golden State, KD, very ball-dominant player, but that's why they had guys like Klay Thompson and Steph Curry who could do so many things off the ball, and their gravity just adds so much to what the Warriors could do. Yeah, it's, um, you know, if you think about it, you know, I, we talked about this the other day that those positions, point guard, shooting guard, those are really just made for people to keep track of the game. Like, if you look at the Sixers, and, and by when you keep track of the game, it just puts them in order. If you look at the Sixers, Ben Simmons is your point guard. The guy is just one of the tallest guys in the court outside of Embiid. So it's really just, I, I like to look at it as ones, two, threes, and fours. So in the situation in Philadelphia, that's your one. Your one is the guy taking the ball up the most, and that's, Simmons, um, but if you look at the play styles too, uh, Leonard is a very good ISO player, um, just like Devin Booker, except Booker can stretch the floor out even more. He's got a different skill set. Um, and I think, you know, when you have a team that was as bad as the Suns were, and if you saw a video of Devin Booker game, double teamed in a pickup game, he said that's the same type of crap he sees all year. So now you have a guy like Rubio, you're combining with eight, and you know, Rubio is gonna he's not gonna score that much, but the guy's gonna run circles around defenses and find open guys. And that's really big. You know, something like that really goes unnoticed until you actually have a good team and they start winning games. Yeah, and let's just use that as a transition to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers for a minute or two. Back to back losses against the Phoenix Suns, like James mentioned, the Utah Jazz last night. And it's been a little bit of a rough stretch after a really hot start to the season. I think Ben Simmons, he's he's really been struggling the past two games. Um, yesterday, he went out with a bit of a shoulder injury. But even against the Phoenix Suns, he just wasn't really performing up to his standards that many people are expecting from him after, you know, a great start to his NBA career. But now, I've always been a guy who's defended Ben Simmons, and he doesn't have to take threes. But... I think time has come. He's got to begin taking those jumpers. The defense is giving them to him. And in games such as the one with Phoenix with Embiid out, he's got to be the guy who, you know, is always a threat consistently throughout the game. And he can't just disappear into the background. Yeah, Simmons, you know, I was watching a couple of videos of him in practice the other day. His form looks really good. So, you know, I think uh, you're definitely going to need him to at least, you know, threaten that he's going to make a couple. But, um... You know, what do you what do you think is gonna happen come the playoffs, you know, if if Simmons is still sorta stagnant about shooting threes, like what what is the next move if he's so just hesitant to take these shots? Like what do you like if you're let's just say you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you're playing this team Eastern Conference Finals, how are you guarding this team? Are you just saying, you know what, I really we why the hell would we let M B do anything to us? Play off ball, let Simmons let Simmons shoot as much as he wants. See, it's tough because I think the thing is Philly wants to stick with Ben Simmons, and I don't blame them. I think he's going to be a top five player in the league for many, many years to come. 
But if Simmons is just completely unwilling to take threes or unwilling to take any long jumpers at all, then you really have to reconstruct your roster around that. And I doubt you're getting rid of Embiid, and you shouldn't. He's going to be, for me, he's already the best center in the NBA, and I think he's going to be the best center for a decade. So you have Richardson, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford, and they're all good shooters, but none of them are elite shooters. So if you have Simmons, who's not really going to take shots, Embiid, whose damage comes inside the paint, then there isn't really that big of a use for Josh Richardson or Al Horford, theoretically, in a playoff situation, at least not long term. Yeah, and I think that's why the 76ers last year were so good because they had a guy like J.J. Redick, you know, an elite sharp shooter that can go off screens and hit threes when they need them. You know, with the 76ers now, I mean, you have Horford and Embiid who are big guys that could splice the floor, and that could definitely help. But I think one thing the 76ers are going to have to look at going forward is that they need to find a consistent shooter. Um, They had Shamit beforehand. They had J.J. Redick. I don't know if they would, would trade maybe Josh Richardson or someone else of that nature, but I think in order for the 76ers to make a finals run, they need an elite shooter, whether that be maybe getting someone like a Kyle Korver or someone of that nature. But I think without a sharp shooter, I don't, just don't think the 76ers can go that far. Look, I wouldn't say that Jimmy Butler is an elite shooter, but they had, let's just say, a top 20 player in the NBA last season as almost as a third option, and it just didn't work whether that's down to Kawhi Leonard's heroics or chemistry, but they've done it before and it clearly didn't take them to the championships or to the heights that they wanted to be. So it clearly just can't be get another shooter. It's got to be something more than that. I think it's a bit of both. First of all, I do think the Sixers need more shooters and it's something that they've done the past two seasons. Two years ago, they added Ilya Sova, who is, I really like him, I really rate him. And then last year, they had JJ Redick, obviously as their biggest shooting option. And then they added Mike Scott also at one point. But this year, I think you're going to see the same thing happen. Kyle Korver, obviously, he went to the Bucks, which personally, I'm a Sixers fan. I wish the Sixers would have really gone in for him because, I mean, I think at one point they knew they were losing J.J. Redick. So I wish they had brought in Korver or another sharpshooter, maybe Wayne Ellington or someone like that. But, you know, this is going to be a midseason move, and the Sixers are going to have to add more shooting to their team. And even Brett Brown has said this. He's had Furkan Korkmaz, who hit the game winner against the Portland Trailblazers a few games ago. And Brett Brown has been trying to develop him into that, you know, shooter off the bench. But I'm just not sure he's going to be dynamic enough, number one. And number two, I'm not sure his defense is going to live up in playoff situations. So I don't know. It's an interesting situation and definitely something to keep an eye on uh, for the rest of the season. Oh wait, I had another point. My my transition. Oh, all right. Well, Wilco's gonna get back to it. I thought we we're gonna. I was gonna branch the mic transition right here. See, I, I said I had two things to mention, and then I only mentioned one. But <laughs> James, you said you know the Sixers had Jimmy Butler, and that didn't take them far enough. But I think that's a little bit unfair on your part because the Sixers were so close to getting to the finals, and just that Kawhi shot that goes in maybe one time out of a hundred times. Not to mention that the Sixers were missing Embiid for most of that series. So I think that. If the Sixers had kept Butler, they would be the number one favorites for the title right now. Oh, I, I, saw, I just saw this tweet when I was scrolling through real quick. It was on Damian Lillard's brilliant season so far. I feel like this guy is one of the most underrated, talked about guys in the league. Um, so what do you what do you guys think? Is this guy is this guy a top? Do you, I think he's a top ten player in the NBA. What do you, what do you guys think about this? 
I mean, I would definitely agree with that statement. I think Lillard has been underrated for his entire career, especially when you have guys like Stephen Curry and Russell Westbrook ahead of him, yeah. which a lot of people consider to be better. Especially in the West. Exactly. Um. So with Lillard, I mean, he's mainly a shooter. Um, his defense could get better, but overall, you know, great shooter. Definitely can pass the ball. My personal opinion, I think he is a top 10 player. Probably right on, like, the edge of, like, maybe 10 or 11, in my opinion. But Lillard overall, I think he just needs to prove that he can take the Trailblazers outside of the West. I mean, they made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. They had, I think, 17-point leads in each of the games against the Warriors, and they choked all of them. So I know the team now is different. You know, you have Hassan Whiteside. You have all these other guys. But I think Lillard just needs to show that he can lead his team to the promised land. And I think... For that reason, as a talent alone, he's a top 10, but his career will fringe on his ability to lead the Trailblazers to the NBA Finals, in my opinion. Yeah, before we get, I'll give the stats real quick. So, so far this season, 31 points a game, 7 assists, 5 rebounds, shooting just under 50% from the field, 40 from 3, and a 63.7% true shooting for you analytics guys out there. I mean, I don't want to discredit Lillard because... Not being the you know one of the ten best basketball players in the world is not nothing to cry about. But when you think about game winners like Kawhi Leonard, who can take you to the finals, I didn't, that last season where they got swept, where they were leading by 17 points every single game in the Western Conference Finals, just doesn't disappear from my head. Like the same criticism that James Harden gets is what Lillard should get if he was considered top ten. Now that's the difference between him and Harden. Harden is considered top ten, maybe even top five right now. But um, but Lillard. No one's ever been like, oh, if Lillard did this or did that, we would have made the finals. It's never been that kind of question. And I think that's just to discredit him. Not that I'd want to. I think Lillard is borderline top 10. And if you look at the type of player he is, first of all, he's very aesthetically pleasing to watch from a scoring standpoint. Um, his partnership with CJ McCollum is fun every single season. And I think Portland's going to struggle a little bit more this season maybe. But Damian Lillard still, last year he put up MVP-like numbers. And at one point, honestly, towards the end of the season, I thought he was top three MVP candidate. I don't know how this season's going to end up going. Obviously, it's a small sample right now. But Damian Lillard has always been one of those guys who's always very underrated, underappreciated almost, I would say. And he deserves to be an all-star year in, year out. Yeah, I think Lillard, uh, he's just been, I won't say cursed, but unfortunately, he's had to play in the same conference as Stephen Curry and, you know, the dream teams that they've had over there. Um and now he's still got to, you know, it's a little more even, there's a little more parity, but again, it's not going to be an easy trek to get to the finals. Um, I think this is one of the better teams he's had to do it with. I think they definitely have to have the talent on this team. It's just a matter of, you know, who are they drawing in the first couple rounds? You know, will that allow them to get deep in the playoffs? And can him and McCollum, you know, it's going to be tough because those are your two best players. Now you got to probably beat a team that's consisting of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, more than likely in the West. Look, I agree that he's underappreciated, but underrated, I'm not sure. And also when you say that he's playing in the same conference as Steph Curry. In 2001, the Lakers were 15 and 0. What were they, Anthony? Like They went 15 and 1 in the whole entire playoffs. And Allen Iverson, best player in the NBA at the time, still took a game off of them to ruin what would have been the perfect playoff run, the first in history. Like That's what I think of when I think of top 10. And I don't really see Damian Lillard in that in that picture, I see Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, Davis to a certain extent, Harden, if you you know take it seriously or not. Um, but Damian Lillard, borderline, you know, he's a clutch shooter. But 
Well, yeah, my, my question is game seven, right? You got to depend on one guy to get you guys through that game and get a win, win that game. You know, give me five guys, five guys you go to in that game. I'm going to take LeBron. LeBron's number one think for we me. I think we can all agree on LeBron. Undoubtedly. Sure. LeBron. Then Kawhi. I'm going to say Kawhi's number on two. That one too. It's been done. <laughs> yeah, it's been done, basically. I'm going to say Kevin Durant, number three for sure. I think so, too. That's three for three. We all agree. I'll say Giannis right now. And then my fifth guy right now, James Harden, I would say. I would say James Harden is my number, fi- is my number five option. And then I would probably have Lillard, Curry, Embiid, Paul George. And I'm going to throw LaMarcus Aldridge in there. LaMarcus Aldridge, that's, uh, that's an interesting I'm gonna take. I'm going to take LaMarcus Aldridge. If you're down one, I'll take LaMarcus Aldridge mid-post, a little fade away, clear out for him. I'll take it. I don't know. I'll take it. Well, I'm I'm doing, I'm doing some uh, research here on some playoff stats. You know, real quick. Yes. Paul George. I know there's the whole Gatorade commercial with him or whatnot, where he hits the game winner. I think it's Gatorade at least, but he's not that clutch of a player. But I I would still take him probably in my top ten, top fifteen. Also, I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. This is this is a bit of a tangent, but. The Al Horford chocolate milk commercial. I don't know if it's just me who's seen I, this. I haven't seen it. But I didn't know Al Horford did commercials. It's it's very it's very grating to see it in the middle of a broadcast. You know, I'm trying to enjoy the game, and Al Horford's preaching to me about chocolate milk for like a solid 45 seconds. Chocolate milk is good, though. It's good for the, the soreness. You know what's good, surprisingly? The soy milk at Eastside Dining. It's surprisingly good. But, all right, enough about enough about the soy milk at East. Back yeah. to our conversation about not much, clutch not shooters. Much of a sorry, milk guy, but I uh, get. We'll get back into it real quick. I, I, the stats I have right here. Stats number one. This is player A in the playoffs. His whole career: twenty-three points, uh, five point six assists, five point four rebounds, shooting thirty-five percent from. Excuse me, shooting thirty-three percent from three. Player B: twenty-seven points, six and a half assists. Five rebounds. This guy is shooting thirty-five percent from three. Which one of those? One of those two is James Harden, and one of those two is Damian Lillard. Which one do you think? Thirty-five percent from three sounds like Lillard to me. Thirty-five percent is Damian Lillard. So player B was Damian Lillard. Player A was James Harden. So just to give you perspective of, you know, I that's I I personally would take Lillard over Harden in uh, in that situation in that for situation. one game. I would take him over for a season too, honestly. I just don't. I think the play style is good for a regular season, but I don't think that play style ever is going to win a championship. So this is actually a good transition into something which I was reading into earlier today. And you know, bear with me for a minute. Like this actually has a point. A user on Reddit analyzed James Harden's, um, you know, box score and compared it to the cities where he's playing at and the city's local strip clubs. And we all know James Harden has a bit of an affinity for, you know, the partying lifestyle of NBA stars. Just the strippers themselves. Pretty much. I mean, but that being said, though, James Harden performs worse than average when um, the city that he's at has a higher strip club rating. With that being said, how how do you guys feel about the Rockets this season, and how do you guys feel about James Harden in particular? Honestly, I won't say a thing because <laughs> Anthony already knows I can't be objective about the Rockets. I was saying that they were going to win the NBA just because they were leading by 16 against the Bucks, but then you know we all know what happened next. 
Yeah, they ended up losing that game. Um, to go back to your question, uh, the Rockets can definitely make a run, but the one glaring hole on their team is their defense. Uh, they scored 158 points in one game, uh, and the Wizards, I think, scored 159. It might be flipped. I could be wrong. Point is, the Rockets need to work on their defense. James Harden can't play defense. Russell Westbrook is supposed to be pretty good at defending. I don't know what I've seen out of him so far. Not really that great. Uh, P.J. Tucker is a pretty solid defender. Uh, Clint Capella is supposed to be a shot blocker, but I don't know. That Rockets defense has to improve before we can consider them for any title discussions in any way, shape, or form. But to be fair, like if you've got the best scoring attacking options in the league or one of in James Harden, uh, it's it's better to it's better to have that than to be in the Warriors situation where they have no defense, they have no offense, and they're just stuck in the mud. Now I'm not saying that they're both in the same kind of situation, but they played the other night, and it was obvious that if you want to say the Warriors, sorry, that the Rockets don't have a defense, you know, just look at what used to be a dynasty is now. You know what I mean? And also, there's the the season's 82 games. You know. I'm not saying that they're lagging from the summer or they're, or they're not getting along or they don't have chemistry, but eventually it'll click. At least I hope. <laughs> but, I mean, ever since the Rockets have played in the playoffs for the past few seasons, where, where have you seen that defense? Because, I don't know, I haven't seen their defense at all. I mean, yes, Russell Westbrook and James Harden do need a click. And, I mean, I think they've been, you know, getting back together, and I think it's been working so far. But, overall, I mean, James Harden will definitely get you, you know, 40, 50, 30 points a night. Uh, Russell Westbrook will, you know, average that triple-double that he usually does. Uh, Clint Capella will get 10-10 and 10 usually. You have Eric Gordon come off the bench. So I think the Rockets will definitely at least make it to the second round. But whether or not they make it to the conference finals, I think their defense will be the main question. If it improves, they have definitely have a shot. But if that defense stays the way that I saw it against the Wizards, there's no way they're going to make it to the conference finals. But then again, you just never know what might happen. Like, if you had told me Warriors against the Toronto Raptors last season, I would have been like, oh, yeah, the Warriors, they're going to win the NBA because they have Kevin Durant. But guess what? So that's the one guy that goes down with the Achilles injury. And then Klay Thompson. You never know. And I'm not saying that I'd wish for that, but there are teams that if they lose their vital players, the Rockets might have a chance. And that's exactly what handed Toronto a, a championship last season. Like a little bit of a tangent, but who would have won the NBA last season if Kevin Durant was was healthy? The whole entire playoffs. The Golden State Warriors. Exactly. Um but you got to take into account, you know, what it is right now. You can't base it off of hypothetical injuries that might happen. I mean, did anyone really expect the Warriors expect the Warriors to beat the Rockets uh, a few days ago without Steph Curry, without Klay Thompson, without Jalen Green? No, I don't think anyone did. You don't need a good defense to beat a bad team like the Warriors. I'm really surprised I'm saying that after their whole dynasty, but that's besides the point. The Rockets they have, the, they have everything they need to win a championship. They just need two things. Leadership from their main guy, James Harden, and they need a consistently good defense. I think if they can get those two and James Harden can show up in a postseason, I think they have a legitimate shot. Is that something they can trade towards, build towards, or you know, as an entire unit, just work on it? Like, is it, like for example, Lonzo Ball has a crooked jump shot. Ben Simmons can't take threes. How can the Rockets become good at defending overnight james i'm gonna leave you with a quote here it's, it's actually a lyric more so than a quote in regards to you know your skepticism about the rockets or you know how you addressed it with the warriors mm -hmm. we never gonna lose if we handle this business uh -huh. took a turn on the road to riches left my club in the curb in the trenches everything that i want is expensive and it came with a lot of conditions james 
So interpret that however you want. Well, that was rest in peace to a legend, by the way. Um, but before we close out here, I, you know, Wilco mentioned that strip club uh, analysis for James Harden. So I found the I found the study the guy did, and I'm going to read a little bit of what yeah, yeah, yeah. this guy went through to do it before we sign off here. So the guy who did it, uh, let me give a shout out to his Twitter if it's here. Um, no, the, uh, there's no shout, there's no Twitter to shout out here. But here's his methodology slash steps. He extracted all of his game logs from the past four seasons from Pro Basketball Reference. You know, we clean up the data. Then he filtered out all the home games, so it's strictly uh, road performances <laughs> and, he, and the DMPs, the inactives. So poor performances were determined by his points, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, assists, and turnovers. For all those stats, he compared them, his overall season average to the city-specific season average, as in this is what this is what players did in certain cities, and he identified two categories of poor performances: subpar, which Harden performed worse than average in the season, and very subpar when Harden performed 20% plus worse than the season average. Um, so we did 28 different cities. Uh, the two teams in LA, he differentiated Brooklyn and New York City. So we had 28 different cities there. The strip club rating was determined by an average Google reviewer rating for the first 10 strip clubs in each city based on the Google search, which makes sense. If you're James Harden, you're just typing it in, unless you have people uh, you know, that know the area that well. Then finally, he put in the strip club rating for the city into the game log data and performed a regression analysis and visualized it into charts. So, so the conclusion is, um, to a statistically significant de- degree that James Harden's game performance declines in cities with higher rated strip clubs. So there's a bunch of math here, but other interesting facts. Harden's best performance comes in a city with the worst strip clubs, which was Toronto. And his worst performances come in the city with the best strip clubs, which was Miami, um, which was interesting. And another interesting stat is Salt Lake City has the third best strip clubs out of all the NBA cities. I would have thought Cleveland would be, you know, the worst strip club, but I thought I thought well, I could I, I want to see what other cities were bad. I would figure New York City has got to be horrible for him, and I got to figure I'm mean, not New York like Manhattan Knicks. Right, not, right, yeah. Who the hell's going to strip clubs in Brooklyn? I think Manhattan is where where it's definitely bad for him. And I think I, I think Minnesota has got to be rough. Really, Minnesota? Yeah. I feel like it's got to be. I rough. feel like he balls out in Minnesota. <sighs> I don't um, know. L.A. probably not good. Yeah. Um, but very interesting stuff here. This just tells you, you the variables that go into an NBA season. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I don't. I doubt we're gonna get into a whole discussion on this, but. There is an interesting article on ESPN about how NBA players find girls nowadays, nowadays, not just in strip clubs, but also, you know, just to hang out with them, that's, I that's, guess I should say. That's definitely, a, that's definitely a topic we should save for next week's edition. <laughs> keep, people, keep people waiting for that, yeah. for that stuff. But James, do you want to say something? Yeah. The thing is, there's got to be a correlation between the size of the city and, you know, the, how good the strip club is, I guess, but also like how far those teams get. In the season like i mean you could be a playoff team face them during the regular season but they're still a playoff team you yeah. know what i mean i mean you think about the if you say well we say miami so the last four teams the last four miami heat teams couple of them were trash last couple of years decent you know this year probably pretty good probably team. good yeah um and who was the other team other city that he was who was uh good in His, uh the city he was the best in was toronto 
So Toronto, again, not in America. Um, so very interesting with that one. I didn't, I know nothing about Canada, but it seems like you know there's all you got is Drake and maple syrup, and you know I don't, I don't know, I don't know. You got the Blue Jays, you know. Uh, Drake loves being there. So Drake does know. love being there. I don't know. I don't know. It's very, definitely very interesting. But Drake loves being from a bunch of places, too. So. That is true. I mean, we can only be sure if we test it out ourselves, you know? <laughs> well, I, might, I might have to that, edit that out. That's on, that's on you three. That, that ain't on me. That's not, that's um, not me. That's, that's not on me. you three. Yeah, you can enjoy yourself. <laughs> um, but I think that'll be a good way to close out this week's edition of the Full Court Press. And enjoy... <laughs> Your rest, uh, enjoy the rest of your week, and they got Thanksgiving coming up pretty soon, all right? Take care, everyone.